0: You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this first lesson, Philip Edwards is outlining the importance of deliverance to meet the needs of this generation. Examining the examples of Jesus, we can go forward with confidence as we engage in the battle for souls. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please head on over to ariseministry.org.uk to see all the ministries that we have to offer. And now, over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching.
1: It's good to be back with you again after our uh, Christmas break. I hope you all had a, well, as joyous Christmas as you could under the present circumstances. And um, we're gonna believe God for uh, a prosperous year, a good year ahead of us, because God always has good stuff. For us. Before I start this teaching this evening and for the next four weeks on deliverance, I'll just, just open it with a word of prayer. Uh, we're dealing with a subject that the enemy isn't pleased that we look into and study together because what we're really doing is equipping ourselves uh, to, to really stand against him and to, uh, to to do some damage to his kingdom. So let's just pray together. Heavenly Father we just thank you for your precious word Lord we hold it in high esteem and Lord we just pray that as we come to your word this evening you would speak and minister by your spirit into our hearts help us to understand Lord help us to uh, hear clearly what's being said Lord I pray for myself that I'll uh, experience your anointing as I teach this subject and Lord that we will just um, benefit from our time together this evening in Jesus name amen amen well for those of you that haven't joined us before it normally we would be in a school situation we would teach for 45 minutes then we'd have a break maybe of 20 minutes and be refreshed and come back and do another uh, 45 minute teaching well we don't do that we sort of go all the way through so it's a bit of slog I understand that. So if you just have to close your eyes at some point and refresh yourself, that's understandable. If you miss some stuff, it'll be up on the podcast. So you can always go back to that. But um, let's move it along and let's see what uh, God wants to teach us this evening. Ministers have pet subjects that they like to teach on. It's just that somehow God speaks to them specially about something or they get involved in a certain ministry. Uh, For me, when I came into the whole ministry of deliverance, which was uh, about 40 years ago now, it was just something very special to me. I did experience some deliverance, so it was very real and um, very evident in my life. I didn't have to question too much about it. Uh, I didn't know anything about deliverance at the time when I got delivered but then I started to inquire people started to come to me I started to pray for people this was before I was ever in pastoral ministry and uh, yeah it was just I just loved the subject just love studying it and so it's one of those I don't like to call it but it was like a pet thing I really loved to to study more and more and so that's what I did. It wasn't long before um i put a book together with my brother and this is the book it's called loose him and let him go it's a manual in deliverance i have quite a number of these so um i can give you a copy if if you require a copy i can just send it out to you if you uh email for it the the, the whole course that we're doing is is based on this and if you have the notes the notes are the same as this but these are little handy books that you can give to people that you might think might need a bit of help or people who are inquiring about the subject. The way I want to teach this, I want to take an example of deliverance and go through it with you through the scriptures and then once we've looked at that I'll go on to teaching a particular lesson taken from the notes. Mark's gospel, it seemed that Mark was really taken up with this whole ministry of deliverance and if you were to read just through the The eight or nine chapters, the first eight or nine chapters, there's only 16 chapters in Mark, the first eight or nine are filled with illustrations of deliverance. Um, The the book of Mark depicts Jesus as a servant, and one of the things the servant did, he came to serve the people, and it appears that one of the major things that Jesus did in his ministry was this ministry of deliverance and so in in Mark's gospel he puts a lot of emphasis on that and that's where I'll take my scriptural readings from for this first part before we go into the teaching notes so uh, if you have your bibles and you want to turn to them fine if not you can just listen as I go through this but uh, the first study I want to bring to you from the scriptures is in Mark chapter one we're going to look from verses 21 28 so it didn't take Mark long did it to get into the whole subject of deliverance even in the first chapter he's talking about Jesus serving uh, doing the ministry of deliverance to this particular person so as I read through it I'm reading from the NIV version I'll just pick up things so we understand it as we go along it says they went to Capernaum Jesus, after he was thrown out of Nazareth, he set up his, his home base, really, in Capernaum. That's where a lot of the uh, apostles, a lot of the disciples came from. And so uh, probably he lived with Peter or, or someone like that. He, he, he would have lived with him there. So they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. It was the practice of Jesus to go to a place of worship whenever it was possible. Often he was out preaching and ministering, but when he was back home in Capernaum, he would have gone to the synagogue. I believe he would have built up a reputation with the synagogue ruler at that time, and he would have appreciated the, the ministry of Jesus. He would have considered Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher. So Jesus goes with his uh, disciples, those apostles that were with him, to the synagogue. Entering the synagogue, I'm sure the, the, the ruler would have, have quickly said, oh Jesus, come and bring us something, come and teach us something. When Jesus spoke, he, d- he wasn't like the other teachers. He spoke with an anointing, he spoke with an authority, and it was just a joy to hear him speak. It was though he had been with God. He knew the very mind, the very heart of God as he t- spoke to the people. It says, the, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. I, I question what this authority was and where it come from, and whether preachers and teachers can have a similar authority I think the authority comes when we go and spend time with God and we come away from his presence we can minister with an authority that comes from being in the presence of God and we know Jesus was often in the presence of God in a sense he was always in the presence of God but sometimes he used to draw himself away and just spend that time with his father they were amazed at his teaching, and he taught them as one who had authority. He didn't, teach as, he didn't teach as the teachers of the law, always wagging their finger, always telling them what they could and couldn't do. It doesn't go down well even in church today, you know, ministers that wag their finger. People don't respond too well to that. We need to listen to preachers who have a sense of authority in their life, preachers who have been with the Lord. It goes on, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. Let's deal with this word possession. I say right from the start, a Christian, a born-again spirit-filled Christian cannot be possessed by an evil spirit. If the definition of possession is ownership, we as christians born again believers we belong to god we have been purchased by the precious blood of jesus and we belong to god so we cannot be possessed by the enemy we are possessed by god now if people aren't born again christians then satan rules over their lives just like he did to he ruled over our life we didn't know that before we came to christ he ruled over our lives but in in coming to christ We were purchased through the blood of Jesus and we belong to God. So we have to be careful when we use that word possession. It's better to say he was with or he had an evil spirit. The man had a spirit with him. It was in him. He was with the spirit. The spirit was with him. And so he's possessed by an evil spirit and the spirit cried out. So Jesus is ministering in the synagogue. Everyone's there keen to hear him. They love to hear Jesus when he preaches. They're not falling asleep today with the uh, the usual teacher boring them or putting them to sleep. They're alive. They want to know everything he's got to say because they all have a sense of this man's authority. This man's got something very special to say. And then in the midst of this, and you can imagine everyone quiet, glued to every word he's saying, all of a sudden, from inside this man, a spirit starts to speak out of him. Just put yourself in that atmosphere for a minute. What a shock it was to the people. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop because they were so attentive. And this this voice comes out of the man. Now, I've heard a few demonic voices over the years. They're usually not very pleasant and nice. There's an ugliness, Uh, a vileness about them uh, and you sort of the, the hairs on the back of your head they usually stand up because you think whoa this is something something evil something awful so the spirit cries out so what does the spirit cry out everything that we study here will give us insights into the whole ministry of deliverance what do you want with us they cry out jesus of nazareth interesting the one voice that speaks through the man he says what do you want with us is he saying what do you want with me and this man or is he saying what do you want with me and all the other spirits that are in this man now if we study through all the passages on deliverance we'll find that when someone had a spirit they didn't just have one they had more we know that mary had seven evil spirits cast out of her We know the boy that threw himself into the fire had a deaf and a dumb spirit. So we see multiple spirits in people. It's as though if one gets in, he can open the door for other spirits to come and enter into that person. So he says, what do you want with us? And he calls Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Now what he's doing in saying this, he's insulting Jesus because he knows who jesus is but he's trying to say jesus of nazareth was was the man jesus you understand if you called him jesus of nazareth it was jesus the man that came from nazareth because he was the son of god he was the lord a little bit later we realized that he knew he was the holy one of god he knew he was god's son so in speaking he's he's trying to to assert himself and talk down to jesus and intimidate jesus you see in this deliverance ministry we're engaged in a conflict there's there's a there's a battle going on for for people's minds and people's hearts what do you want with us jesus of nazareth He then then he says have you come to destroy us now this is interesting This spirit knew that when this Messiah was going to come, this person who stood in front of him, he knew that he was the Holy One of God. He knew that he would be destroyed. He recognized the power and the authority that was in Jesus Christ. And so he felt intimidated by Jesus. And he first is brash in calling him Jesus of Nazareth. Then he backs down and he says, oh, have you come to destroy us? You can almost hear the change in his voice as he speaks through this man. Have you come to destroy us? And then he says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. So this man is feeling very intimidated now. Can I encourage you? He recognized the authority. Jesus, all authority was given to him. And Jesus said, He sends us forward with His authority. So when you stand in front of a demonic thing, an evil thing, you need to recognize that you have authority that's been delegated to you by no one less than Jesus Christ, the Holy One. And he expects us to exercise that authority that we have when we move in the realms of deliverance or healing or other things. We need to recognize the authority that we have. He says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now Jesus, in the next verse, he deals with this demonic being, this person or personality that's dwell, dwelling or uh, got into this man. And he says to him, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Well, I only know one way to say be quiet sternly, and that's shut up. Okay, I don't think he put, said shut up. Anyway, you get, you get the drift. He's stern with this thing. He tells the Spirit he's got to be quiet. Why does he do this? It's not because he doesn't, he's not interested in what he's got to say, and he can't discern lies from the truth. Of course, Jesus can discern the lies from the truth. He doesn't want these spirits to tell the people who he is see if they knew who Jesus Christ really was they would never have allowed him to be crucified so Jesus silences the spirits so the people won't realize who he is he has one vision one goal in his mind Jesus and that's to go to the cross and to die for you and me and nothing's going to spoil that plan that he has and so he tells the spirits to shut up And to be quiet and not to say see they've already said that he is the holy one the son of god they've already let that out of the bag he's not going to let them say anymore then he gives the command for the spirit to come out of him he says simply come out of him this spirit was definitely on the inside of the man now this is a man who has woken up on a saturday As a good Jew, as a worshipper of God, he's gone to the the synagogue to worship God. He's gone to sing the songs, listen to the teaching, listen to the scriptures being read. He's entered into God's worshipping community, and yet he has an evil spirit in him. There's one question that you have to answer before we're finished with this course well this one question leads to another leads to another sorry about that so the first question is is it possible for a Christian to have an evil spirit you have to sort that out I can't obviously from what I'm teaching you you know where I come from but not everyone believes that so you have to work that out for yourself can Christians have an evil spirit number two if they can have I got one Now, some people suggest that to have an evil spirit, you've got to be off your head or, uh, you know, deeply into drugs or really evil or sinister or involved in the occult. And probably all those people, they have got spirits in them. But there's other spirits, you know, that are just there to hinder and to block and to reduce the work of the kingdom. Spirits of fear, spirits of rejection, spirits of rebellion, spirits of unforgiveness, these are all spirits as well that if we allow them to live and dominate in our life from being simply a sin a sin of the flesh it becomes a stronghold for the enemy and that's just another name or a word for having an evil spirit has a stronghold in our life so he tells the spirit to come out the spirits on the inside and he says come out the evil spirit, he says, shook the man violently. And it came out of him. It comes out with a, ah! a shriek. It comes from his mouth. So there is something within him, a spiritual entity, a spiritual force that's dwelling on the inside of him. And as he rebukes it and tells it to come out, it literally comes and leaves his body. Now, we know the word for spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the word breath or wind in the old testament it's the word ruach in the new testament it's pneuma so what came out of him was a spirit that was manifested in wind or breath i've prayed for many many people you can imagine over the years being taken up with this for the past 40 years many many people as they get delivered Things literally, it's like wind spirit coming from their mouths, whether they're crying or sobbing or yawning or whatever it is, or just breathing heavily, these things get stirred up from within and leave. So, all I'm doing is I'm opening up the scriptures to you. I'm not suggesting something from, oh, this is my experience, these are my stories. I'm saying this is what the Bible is teaching us. So, you have. A responsibility to look at this and take it on board and to say well what do I believe about not what Philip's saying but what are the scriptures teaching us so it shakes the man first there's a physical manifestation this this spirit has lived in this man we don't know how long he's made a home for himself he has been able to manifest his personality through this man We don't know what the spirit is, there's no indication here, but whatever this man was doing was gratifying the spirit that was in him. So it became his home, it dwelt on the inside of him, but now it's evicted from this house and this spirit now has no place to live. He needs to find another body to occupy, to come into, so he can manifest its personality. It comes out. The people, it says, were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. What was so amazing is they had never seen a human being, a man, cast a spirit out of another man because it was impossible. Everyone who lived up to the time of Christ that we read here, the lord of their life was satan they were born in sin and they had a sin problem all the time that's why when they passed away before jesus died and rose from the dead every departed spirit went to a place called hades they were captive as it were to the enemy that's not hell it's a place for the departed spirits and so everyone prior to christ's coming was under the lordship spiritually of satan himself that doesn't mean that people didn't do good things they didn't worship god but they their their spiritual lord was still the enemy so up to that point no man had ever cast a spirit out of another man so when they saw this man jesus doing it they probably didn't realize who he was this was amazing they'd never seen anything like this before he was the first man to do this They said, listen, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. You see, they'd never seen it before. Anyone who tried this before, the evil spirit overpowered them or just walked away from the whole situation. Then it says news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. You can imagine. This was amazing, startling, something different, something exciting. I need to drop down and just read a little bit more of this story because although it finishes the incident here the day isn't over there's more to come if you read on he goes back to the house of peter uh, peter's mother-in-law is sick uh, he heals her of whatever her problem is so let's pick it up in verse 32 it says that evening after sunset why we say after sunset because the jews weren't free to travel in the day once the sun is set the jews could start moving around again because the sabbath was over that evening after sunset the people brought to jesus all the sick and they used the word again the demon possessed it's as though they knew people had demons in them we we're so sophisticated in the west we say oh no there's not that they haven't got that problem it's not that problem i mean when did you last knock into someone and think you know he's demonized well if you're like me i do it all the time but no let's be serious about this you said they they didn't they didn't but they we don't think about it but they thought about this sort of thing all the time they recognized it for what it was it was in their face so that evening They come to the house where Peter is, uh, sorry, at Peter's house where Jesus is, and they bring all the sick and the people who are demonised. Listen what it says here. It says, the whole town gathered at the door. Now, this was a fairly large community. I don't know if it was literally the whole town because the Bible sometimes uses hyperbola. But what he's saying is there was a lot of people. These people had never gathered in such numbers before. Why had they come? They had come because in the church that morning they saw something that they never seen before. They saw the power of God manifesting, setting a person completely free. And that evening they came to the door to get more of what Jesus had for them. The whole town gathered at the door. Listen then, it says, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases he also drove out a few demons oh no it doesn't say that it says he drove out many demons when did you last see many you say oh well we're better now we're more sophisticated we're not so sinful we're not what what you see these spirits they're acting undercover They're not exposing themselves. They're living and acting through people to do all sorts of damage and harm to the kingdom of God, to God's people. These were all Jewish people. These were all God's children. These were all believers in God. They should never have been sick or demonized. Living under the covenant of God, they would have been healthy and demon free because they were breaking the covenant continually we love under, live under a covenant, and if we break it continually, we expose ourselves to the same sort of problems. Don't kid yourself. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak. Again, he emphasizes the point, because they knew who he was. So that's why he shut the man up in the first place. Then it goes on. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Well, this has gone on all through the night. They're looking for him. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also that is why I have come, he says. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. It seemed to be the pattern of the ministry of Jesus. Wherever he went, he preached the kingdom of God, how people should have been living. He was preaching the way that he was living and saying, if you live in the kingdom, you're supposed to live like this. He knew they couldn't but he was preaching what the kingdom was but he was casting demons out everywhere he went now if you were to study this subject in some detail in the same way that i have you'll find whenever he commissioned either the 70 or the 12 or the disciples he sent them out to preach the kingdom of god and always to cast out demons always there are no exceptions When he sends them out and he commissions them, because he knew an integral part of preaching the gospel was to deliver people of the demonic. Now, when we send missionaries abroad, they have a bit more savvy. They think, I'm probably going to meet up with some nasty things out here, and so they're normally equipped to do deliverance. I must admit, growing up in a church as a boy, I used to like the missionaries coming home and telling us stories because they'd always have stories of deliverance and stuff like that but you see growing up in the in in london where i grew up in my head as a child demons were always in another country they were always in the third world they were never here in london that's not possible we're so sophisticated we're so advanced we're so christianized they must be in these what we you call them the dark countries you know but oh no don't be silly they're just as much here destroying the church as they would be in those countries. So that's the first little illustration uh, passage from the scriptures. What I want to do week by week, and we might do another one of them before I'm finished, um, I can tend to talk a long time about demons and deliverance, So, but I will stop at the time. I won't shoot past my time. Whether I finish all the 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 passages but we'll catch up and we'll do it in time and if I can do another passage this evening I will let's look at our notes then all the notes that you might have or might not have the the first heading I've got here is the need the need for deliverance this spirit world we live in is very real you know the spirit world some Christians they live simply by their senses Things they touch and smell and hear and taste, they just live out of their senses It's as though their spirit is not alive it's not it's not tuned in to God it's not tuned in. Uh, often Christians say to me, God never speaks to me. I never hear what god's saying I'm thinking, well, why is that we're spirit beings spirit beings whom the Holy Spirit lives in, and God is a spirit, and he communicates with our spirit, spirit to spirit, and God is wanting to speak all the time. But many Christians don't realize we're living in a spirit world. The Word of God says there are angels that God sends to minister to us. He says there are evil spirits all around us in the world that are seeking to destroy us and pull us down and we know that paul says listen take your stand against the evil one so we have to wake up and realize that we live in a sense world i understand that in the natural but this sense world is very much a spiritual world as as well the spirit world is around us all the time we need to be sensitive to the spirit world. It says in Hebrews 1 and 14, are not all angels, and we know there are millions and millions and millions of angels, are there not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Well, that's you. That's me. You're an inheritor of salvation and angels are ministering spirits who are to be sent to you. I'd ask you, have you have you seen an angel? Has one got involved in your life? You see, often we, we live such safe lives, God has no reason to send angels to us. We play it safe all the time. You get yourself into some real tricky situations where you need an angel and you'll probably get one. He'll probably come and deliver you from that situation. Of course, it's great to hear those stories of where people are really up against it and then it comes. I remember as uh, uh, someone new in ministry saying, Lord, every time I preach, I preach other people's testimonies, other people's stories. Lord, can you give me my own? Well, that was the wrong thing to pray. I'll tell you about that. Okay, because if you want to, you can step out with God and God can do some amazing things with you as you step out with him. And in some of those situations, you'll definitely need an angel. Also in Ephesians 6, 10 and 12, he says, Finally, be strong in the spirit and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, is not against flesh and blood. The struggle that we're engaged in is not about people. It's not about natural things, but it's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world and it's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms so two classic verses of scripture one's to say listen there are angels that are real ready to minister to you and there are evil spirits that are around seeking to destroy you and pull you down and rob you of every virtue and every blessing that god has for you and finally in Uh, 1 John 5 and 19, it says, we know that we are children of God. Can you say amen to that? You know you're a child of God. Well, I can. And we also know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Did you know that? The whole world, the systems of this world, are under the control of the evil one. Now, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. This world belongs to God. But man has allowed Satan in, and now he rules over the systems of this world. He controls the whole world. It says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. I think Christians have something that what I've I've called a credibility gap we read something in the scriptures or we hear something preached to us and we don't disagree with it we we take it on board as yes i understand this but it doesn't become real in our lives there, someone has once said you know the, there's a long way between the head and the heart because in the head we can understand and know a truth but in the heart we believe it and because we believe it It affects our lives it affects the way that we do things it affects the way we speak and who we what we do with our lives it affects everything so the danger when we sit in church or we read something it only goes to the head and doesn't filter through into the heart or the knowing it's one thing to know the theory of what the word teaches it's another thing to engage oneself in it in the spiritual realities that we're engaged in our lives every day are affected by evil spirits just ponder for a minute if you were organizing satan's armies against the church or against the world where would you focus your attack uh, would you go down the clubs and the pubs and where all the people just were in sin all the time and just you know reveling in in whatever they wanted to revel in no you wouldn't bother with them they're already in your back pocket if you were going to attack god which is what he wants to do he would attack the church he would attack the people who are keen the people who are passionate about the things of god i don't think he would even trouble much the church that wasn't very passionate he would leave them because they're not the greatest threat to him So, But he would would focus his attack on people like you, people like me, people who are keen for the things of God. Now, I'm not saying there are good Christians and bad Christians. I'm not saying that. I'm saying those who are more passionate, those are the ones he's got to keep an eye on. Those are the ones he's got to block and stop. So we get involved then in realising there is a demonic and we want to do something about it jesus said something or james said this uh james is a very practical teacher isn't he and so they called the book of james the proverbs of the new testament so oh very practical if you're a practical person you'll love love the book of james so he says this whenever we face trials and problems we are to submit to god i get that but then he says we're to resist the devil You can't have one without the other. You think, no, I don't worry about the devil. I'll just submit to God and God will deal with it. Well, God won't deal with it because he said, you submit to me, but you, you must resist the enemy. So once we're alive to this whole spirit world around us, we can start saying, well, what is necessary to resist the devil? What do I have to do? How do I have to think differently? Well, the first thing you have to do is to speak out against him you have to take authority over him with the words that come out of your mouth life and death is in the power of the things that you say so you start speaking out maybe just speaking out generally about things but then you find someone who could perhaps do with some deliverance so you think well perhaps i could sit with you and pray with you and command these things to leave you Let's try that. I read about that in the Bible somewhere. And so you sit down with someone and for the first time in your life, and listen, when you do anything for the first time in your life, it's scary. I understand that. You have no confidence. You have no assurance. But as you start to speak out against the things that are in these persons, your head says to you, you're stupid. This is too far-fetched. What have you got yourself into? Stop listening to that Philip. Stop reading all these books about the It's all nonsense. That's what the enemy tells you. He intimidates you just in the same way that he started out intimidating Jesus in the synagogue until he realized who he was talking to. And so immediately that man in the synagogue or the spirit within that man, he backed right down so as we start to enter into this ministry and we start to pray for people and we start to come against the demonic the initial thought is this nonsense The the devil will try to intimidate you he'll try to squeeze you out he'll try to frighten you to intimidate you whatever it'll cause you to doubt and have fear that's what he does with everything but the more you're determined to go on because what you believe is not based on what you think or what some preacher tells you but it's based on what you read in the word of God we are to be followers of Jesus that which Jesus did we do Romans 5 says we were reconciled through his death we are saved through Christ's life We're to follow Christ. We're to live like Christ. Living like Christ is part of the saving process. Now, I know we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus and we're saved through the cross and faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But our life is saved. Our life is transformed by simply following what Jesus did and what he taught us to do. Our example then in everything of life is Jesus. If Jesus does it, we do it. He's our rabbi, you see. He's our teacher. For those he said, come follow me, they knew exactly what he was saying to them. Come, he says, I want to be your rabbi and I want you to copy me. Copy the things that I do. Where I go, you go. What I say, you say. What I do, you do. That's how a rabbi would teach a young student under him who had potential to be a rabbi. That's why Peter said, I'll come walk on the water. If my rabbi is walking on the water, I'll walk on the water. And Jesus said, "Okay, come on then. You could never say no to him because if you sat under a rabbi, you would do everything he told you to do. And so we see that when the disciples and the apostles that were close to him saw him doing deliverance, they were going to do deliverance. When he saw them healing the sick, they were going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. They were going to do exactly what their rabbi did. He's our rabbi. He's our teacher. We're following him in our lives as we follow him. His life saves us as we copy him. So Jesus constantly moved in this ministry of deliverance. We've sort of touched that on already. Listen to what it says in Luke 4 where he gives the manifesto for his ministry. Luke four eighteen and 19. You remember this verse, I'm sure. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That is the preaching of the gospel. That is the message of salvation that we preach. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Well, I don't think he ever went to a prison and preached, but he definitely set captive people free. The deliverance ministry is the setting of people free, the freeing of the prisoners. He has sent me to recover the sight of the blind, that's to do with healing, to release the oppressed, that's about social justice, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to preach in this age of grace where we're welcomed and God wants to draw us into himself. Jesus did it. We follow in his footsteps. We do what he did. Now, he, he, uh, he was gifted with an anointing which is without measure. I understand we have measure, but we still follow and we do what we can do. Peter walked a few steps and went down under the water. But he did what he could do he stepped out in faith when i've stepped out in faith sometimes i've fallen flat on my face i didn't lay there forever i got up and i took a few more steps and i stepped out again and stepped out again and we must do that we must step out with god it says in luke 13 and 32 he replied go tell that fox making reference to herod i will drive out demons I will heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day i will reach my goal jesus is proclaiming what his life will be over the next three years he says the goal is to go to the cross i will walk to the cross but on today and tomorrow until i get to the cross i will heal the sick and cast out demons see they were trying to quiet him down he was doing too much they said listen Herod will be after you he'll catch you and he says listen I have this vision I have to pursue this this is the direction in which I go and in Colossians 1 and 13 it says for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves you once dwelt in a dominion of darkness you've been brought out of that you've come now into a kingdom of light but all around you there are people who are still living in the kingdom of darkness subject to satan's control dominion over their lives and we have to respond accordingly if you've ever had spirits cast out of you you know exactly what this ministry is all about you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, that's somewhat of a disadvantage, but that's like everything. Those things that we've personally experienced, you don't need much convincing over it because we have to convince as many as we possibly can to the truth and the reality of God's Word. There's a challenge for the church in our day. You you live in this generation. You've got to meet the challenges that are facing the church today. We're at the are we at the end of the age of grace? Many might think so. That Christ's return is imminent. We're definitely uh, two thousand years into the age of the outpouring of God's Spirit, and as we come to the end of the age the enemy knows that his time is short. I'm not saying this is the end of the age, but the enemy will know as things pick up and they stand against him more and things become strong. So with the pouring out of the Spirit of God in the end of the age, there will be an uprise in satanic or evil things as well that will come against the church. So there'll be a clash. Satan's not just going to walk away quietly. So as the church comes and becomes more powerful so the enemy will come with greater force against the church sometimes we think one of the greatest dangers to the church is heresy where the truth gets twisted i don't think that's the greatest problem i think there's a bigger problem than that a problem is that we lose truth we lose it we once knew things or the early church knew things that it doesn't know anymore somehow we've lost it and and just over the i don't know the 50 years that i've been aware of things 60 years i've been aware of things i see truths being restored back to the church they're not new truths but things that were lost to the church have come and of course the ministry of deliverance is one of those things that was lost the church being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. It was almost completely lost from the church, never completely, but it took 1900 for the, the Pentecostal revival to come and now the whole world or vast, vast quantities of the church now have accepted the things of the Spirit and speak in tongues. For a long time it never did that. We understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit we understand uh, faith what it is to walk in faith which was nearly lost completely from the church so this ministry is something that is being revived and renewed in the church that we have to embrace the challenge also to us is to meet the needs of this generation you see there is a breakdown in our western society the restraints of the social patterns of Christianity are nearly gone. The ways that we used to live, just all of you growing up, uh, there were certain norms, norms about marriage, norms about relationship, norms about what people thought and how people lived, that we were a a judo-christian society, our laws and everything was based on Christian ideas, Christian teaching. That's all eroded. We're almost a secular society. And so with that, it just is an open door for the enemy to come and just what he does, what he wants to do in this society. So we've lost something of this Christian heritage and the demonic has made inroads into the young people's lives and older people's lives of the society in which we find ourselves the church has to respond the church has to respond with weapons that will destroy the enemy it's not good enough it's not simply good enough to get people to go to church and to be good it needs to be something more and more powerful than that we ask the question then who should be involved in this ministry uh me? Are you saying, Philip, I need to be involved in ministering to people, perhaps with evil spirits? Well, we're God's people to meet the needs of this generation. If you lead someone to Christ and you're sitting and talking to them and they're obviously strange about something, the way they're thinking, their attitudes, and, and you're trying to show them something from the scriptures, but they're just not hearing or listening or understanding or they can't can't break free of attitudes or something you've got to start thinking how can i help this person it isn't good enough just to talk to them and pray over them maybe they have a demonic stronghold that needs to be broken down in their lives the task then of helping these people is given to us it's part of what the Bible calls the work of the ministry in Ephesians four eleven and twelve. We read this: It was He, that is Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors, teachers. What was their job? Why did He send these men and women to the church? For why? Why is why is God sending pastors and apostles and prophets and teachers to the church today? is to prepare god's people for the works of service we can end up thinking oh no this is the pastor's job the pastor does all the deliverance the pastor does all the praying the pastor does all this no no the pastor's job is to train the people to do the work if you leave it all to the pastor it won't get done he's only got 24 hours in a day better he better he he trains up others to get on and and to do the work, that's what Jesus did, Jesus gathered 12 guys around him, he trained them up in everything he did, he said what you see me do, you do, and and then go off and do the same, and then go out and teach other people to do exactly the same, and so the whole thing proliferates through the church, so everything that Jesus was doing, we end up doing as the church, we go there and we sit down in our churches, and we give our money and we sing our songs and we love Jesus, we do, but we're supposed to be trained for the work of the ministry to heal the sick, to work amongst the destitute and the lonely, to stand up against injustice, to set the captives free, to preach deliverance to those that are bound. We need to do that. We are the ones that do it to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There There aren't important people in the church and then less important people. There are servants who come who are sent by Jesus to serve the church, to minister to the congregation, to raise them up to be the ministers of the gospel. That is the principle that is laid down in scripture. This isn't a specialized ministry. Oh, I've heard that so many times. Oh, don't get involved with this. This is a very specialized ministry. You get yourself into all sorts of trouble. Who cares about getting into trouble? I want to get into some trouble, don't you? I want to move some things. I want, I want something to shift. I want, I want to make a difference. Not so you think, oh, here's Philip. He's wonderful. He can make a difference. I want to make a difference for the kingdom of God, for Jesus died to save the world. And I want to shift some things in this world. It says in Mark 16 and 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. That's it. If you're a believer, if you believe what I'm saying, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, these signs will follow those that believe. Of course, if you don't believe, then no signs will ever follow you. The only signs that follow you is the signs that you believe in. What you believe and what you do, there'll be signs that follow that. These signs will follow those that believe. So, are you qualified to do deliverance? Well... Are you a believer? You can tick that box. Okay, if you're saved, you have received authority from Christ. Therefore, get on with it. Now, if you have no inclination and no desire to do it, don't worry, you won't ever do it. But he wants us to do it. If you have a heart to see people set free, really set free, you'll start to move and start to do something in the lives of these people can i say that you're all qualified you're all qualified having said that that you're qualified there's three things that you need you need zeal without zeal we don't do anything you see without zeal the enemy will soon snuff us out remember what it said about jesus They saw him when he made the whip. you remember when he went to the temple and he saw all the unclean things in the temple? He said he made a whip and he drove all these things out. He had zeal. What did he have zeal for? To cleanse the temple. If someone has an evil spirit in them and they're a Christian, their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to have a zeal to get the unclean things out of that person just like jesus drove the unclean things out of the temple you see it's it's an illustration of deliverance he goes in and drives all the things that shouldn't be there out and then that that house of god is filled with prayer it's filled with children singing and it's filled with healing our job is to drive have a zeal and a passion to drive these things out of the temple the temple of men's hearts the second thing that we're supposed to have is knowledge now you're obviously here so you're getting some knowledge and of course you must add to this one sermon doesn't solve anything we need to th- read and, and think about things over and over and over again until we've we've got a hold of it it says in 1 corinthians 9 and 26 therefore i do not run like a man running aimlessly and i do not fight like a man beat in the air we need to make sure that every punch that we throw lands on target that when we're running this life this race we're running in the right direction we're running on the course that's been marked out for us otherwise we run aimlessly and we just punch the air and it's just punch in the air and we exhaust ourselves only to be knocked out ourselves in the next round We must understand the enemy, what he's doing, and what we can do to combat him. The third thing we need is wisdom. It says in James 1 and 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God isn't mean when it comes to giving out wisdom. If you don't get something, you just keep pestering God until he tells you. Usually, you'll end up putting a book your way, or you'll end up listening to a sermon that does something. But if you're passionate about finding out, God God will teach you. He wants to raise your level of understanding, your wisdom, how to know things. But obviously, as well, wisdom comes by experience. The more you step out into something, the wiser you become. It, it applies to everything in life. So, if you've never prayed for anyone for deliverance well you won't have much wisdom Have you pray for one and then you pray for two and then you pray for three and then you start reading about the subject because you want to help people more so your wisdom your understanding of the whole thing grows more and more in deliverance then what are we seeking to do We finished this first lesson on this one. That's not we're finishing the evening, although oh, it's taken me a good hour to do this one. But you've got enough in you for another half an hour, haven't you, after this? I hope so. Okay. Yeah, I'll get a few thumbs up. Um, I don't mind if you close your eyes if it gets a bit too much, but there you go. Stay with it. Okay. And if you do, then you can always listen to it on the podcast later. In deliverance, what are we seeking to do? This word deliverance became very popular, but it, it started to mean different things to different people let me give you the definition of what real deliverance is it is to recognize and expel evil spirits or demon spirits or unclean spirits it's the same thing just a word that's interchangeable from the bodies of men women and children to keep this objective clearly in mind that's what you're seeking to do in deliverance someone's got a spirit in them And you are going to help them to get rid of that spirit. The second thing in deliverance ministry is to instruct those who've been set free how to keep free. Because if they don't keep themselves or act or change their way of living, those spirits will come back. Jesus promised you that. In Matthew chapter 12, it says, when a spirit is cast out of a house, unless you put that house in order, if you leave it like it is, that spirit will come back and bring seven other spirits worse than itself back into the house. So, part of it is not just to get people free, but to instruct them how they can keep free, how they can move on in their Christian life. And the third thing is to give support to those in spiritual conflict. Some people, you might just pray for them once, and they get delivered, and they go on in life, and their testimony is, oh, things have changed, they're good. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes people have to come back to you again and again and again because this thing has such a grip on their lives it takes a little bit more than just one one simple prayer to get people delivered. I would encourage you to stay clear of arguments. People will say to you, well, it's impossible for a Christian uh, to have an evil spirit. How can someone have... Uh, an evil spirit and the holy spirit in them well the argument won't get you anywhere Uh, i've tried it it doesn't work there are no arguments for it if they say to you well show me a verse in the bible where it says uh, a christian can have a demon i said no you first show me the one where it says a christian can't have a demon and then i'll show you my verse see there are no verses the bible's not written always quite like that it's not written like that it's a book that's discerned because the spirit gives us discernment as we open ourselves up to God wanting to teach us people like to categorize with the demonic they talk about people being oppressed or po- possessed or compressed or, impressed or depressed or some other sort of press don't worry about all those words if you have if you have the attack of a spirit coming against you the word of god is clear you submit to god resist the devil by speaking to him telling him where to go and he will flee from you jesus is an example of that led into the wilderness after the baptism of the holy spirit and the baptism of water the enemy comes to him and he sends him packing with the word of god he resists the devil, and he flees from him in the end. Okay, but if we are somehow something has got inside of us, it's not a question of simply resisting it. It's a question of being set free. They have to be cast out of us. So um, I'm not one to argue anymore. I'm too old to argue. Uh, used to argue a lot when I was a lot younger. Can't be bothered now. If you don't see it, it's fine. If you do see it, that's a blessing that's a blessing that would bring us to the the end of our first session how how are you doing you're doing good nod yes please nod in a uh, sufficient nods okay okay now i'm going to move on to another passage to read to you from the scriptures again Uh, if you have your bibles and you want to follow or you just want to listen to me i'm going to go this time to mark still in mark i'm going to mark chapter five this is where Jesus, uh, Jesus has been preaching all day and uh, on, on the shores uh, to Jewish people. And uh, he says to his disciples, come on, let's get into the boat and let's go to the other side. The other side, he meant to the other side of the lake. Now the other side of the lake was Gentile territory. It was the area called the Decapolis where there were 10 Gentile cities when he said we're going to the other side there was a little bit of trepidation in the in the disciples thoughts and in their minds um, they knew what was on the other side they knew there was this man called the Gadarin demoniac he, he had a savage reputation this man i mean we'll read about his reputation there and once jesus said we're going over to the other side they thought oh no we've got to go and deal with this guy or jesus has got to go deal with this guy we'll just we'll just follow him and and see what he does now you know as they get into the boat and they go to the other side there's quite a storm why where did the storm come from and jesus is having a little sleep in the back of the boat remember and they're terrified i mean they are absolutely terrified they think they're going to drown of course eventually they wake up and jesus gets up in the boat. And he rebukes, listen, he doesn't rebuke them. He rebukes the storm. The storm was inspired by a demonic force that sought to sink Jesus and his disciples in the boat before they ever got to the other side. Because they knew in the spirit world what Jesus was coming to do, he was coming to set the gathering demoniac totally absolutely free and i'll tell you everyone knew about him he was a terrifying person so they eventually get to the other side safe and sound they get off the boat and we pick up the story there chapter 5 and verse 1 they went across the lake to the region of the Gazarenes. when jesus got out of the boat a man with an evil spirit you like that it doesn't use the word possessed Now, if anyone was possessed, it must have been this man. In fact, later they call him possessed. But they say it in the way I like it being said, a man with an evil spirit. He came from the tombs to meet him. So this man will obviously have terrorized anyone who came near the tombs. He lived amongst the tombs there. He came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him any more not even with a chain for he had often been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet no one was strong enough to subdue him so whatever spirits or spirit was in this man it was a it was just a mighty powerful spirit imagine chains he simply breaks the chains he 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 cuts himself and he he lies amongst the tombs i don't know maybe when people were buried the spirits that that came out of these people that died that were buried there maybe they came into him i don't know but he seemed a very terrifying terrifying sort of a man no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones even though this man was an agent of the enemy all the enemy wanted to do was destroy him destroy him normally if we purchase a property say a house the first thing we do is decorate it and clean it and make it nice i tell you something when the devil gets in and he occupies A human house, his job is to dismantle and just destroy it and tear it down from the inside. And when he's finished tearing down the inside, he'll tear down the outside. This is what he was doing in this man. He was under, totally under the man's control. But this is, this is so interesting, verse 6. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him now like i said in the other story that i first read to you who did the shouting was it the man or the spirit well we knew who did the shouting because of what he said but what caused this man to fall on his knees was it the man recognizing that this was jesus was it the man that ran and fell at his knees Or was it the spirit who ran to come and do something evil to Jesus to attack him, but when it got close to Jesus could do nothing but fall on its knees in front of Jesus? Remember in the the garden when they came to take Jesus? They came with their sticks and everything, and Jesus steps towards them. Do you remember? They all fell over. Was this a demonic attack on Jesus, and when he gets close, he simply falls in front of him on his knees we don't know there's not enough in scripture to explain but then we find the man shouts again these demons love to shout you see by shouting it's intimidating and so just as the man shouted out in the temple uh, sorry in the synagogue he shouted at the top of his voice what do you want with me jesus the son of the most high god now he's not insulting jesus in calling him jesus of nazareth but he calls him jesus the son of the most high god this demon inside this man knows exactly who jesus is you see in the spirit world there is understanding there is recognition can i say to you if you walk into a a situation where there are demonized people you might feel intimidated and frightened but let me tell you something those spirits in those people are more afraid of you they are terrified of you because you have the spirit of the living god inside of your soul and your very being now you might be quivering afraid of what they can do to you they're really quivering of what you can do to them with the words that come out of your mouth you can send them in seven different directions and you can destroy what they want to do what do you want with me jesus son of the most high god recognize again it's one person speaking he says what do you want with me as though he is the ringleader of all these other spirits that are inside this man swear to god you won't talk to me he's saying the same thing that the man in the synagogue said see they recognize that their end will come one day that jesus will come the messiah and he will put them in chains forever they will be dealt with they think that this is what is going to happen to them that now jesus has appeared on the scene and he's going to destroy them have you come to torture me for jesus had said to him to the spirit come out of this man you evil spirit now When we deal with people with demonic problems, sometimes we're dealing with something very simple and small. Sometimes it's very powerful and big. We never know quite what we're dealing with unless the spirit of the Lord shows us. Now Jesus has said to this man, the spirit in this man, come out of him. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. But they didn't. This spirit didn't budge. This spirit didn't move. They were so strong and powerful within this man, they were convinced that they could resist Jesus and they could stay in this home that they possessed. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? See, this is important. He never did this in the teaching in the synagogue. He simply told the spirit to go. It shook the man violently and came out with him. Here, this spirit is resisting Jesus. He's not going to come out. So Jesus says, what's your name? Who are you? He enters into a dialogue. Now, it's not advised to talk to demons because we'd say all sort of silly things, but it seems to be important that we understand the name of the Spirit. It's as though we can isolate him, we can pinpoint him, and we can deal with him. What is your name? And he responds. He says, my name is Legion for we are many now a legion is a large number it could run into several thousands we don't know how many is there but i think what he's saying is we're a lot there are many of us inside this man and he begged jesus again and again not to send them out of the area now this is interesting surely they could have gone anywhere or been anywhere no no we're led to believe that satan runs this earth like a structured army he has different spirits in different places doing different things dominating and controlling all over the world where he needs them now the spirit of god can be everywhere at once demonic spirits can't god is limit limitless in his resources The devil is limited in his resources, so it's not an equal fight. The devil outmatches him on every front by thousands and thousands, okay? So I'm not trying to draw a picture that the enemy is equal to God because he's not in any way. But he has this structured army, and it appears that these demons, they've been sent to this area of the Decapolis, and they're not allowed to leave this region and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So just imagine what's going on. Jesus is saying, I command you to go, and he's not saying it once, he's saying it again and again and again. And so these spirits are resisting all the time. Now, it's very encouraging to read this because sometimes I've sat down with a good hour commanding things to go and nothing happens no one budges, nothing happens. So I'm thinking, oh, well, Jesus had it tough at times. I can have it a bit tough as well, um, because he was tremendously anointed and he was always going to win through in the end. <coughs> it says, a large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Isn't that interesting? They They were happy... To go into pigs but not happy just to be sent out. One conclusion you can draw from this is the natural habitat of a spirit is inside a body. It isn't to be floating around in the air. They want to occupy bodies. I believe a spirit is, a spirit used to dwell in a body but he's lost his body and now he is a spirit that is free to enter or wants to enter into another body. We won't get onto the origins of demons here. Uh, and it's, uh, anyway, it, they're only ideas and thoughts. The Bible isn't quite as clear as it could be on that. So they want to enter into animals rather than just be out in the atmosphere. Then he gives permission for the evil spirits to come out and to go into the pigs. Oh, I love that. He gave them permission to do it. God is sovereign. Never forget that. God is always sovereign in every situation. So he says, yes, you can leave and you can enter into the pigs. It said the herd about 2,000 in number. Stop there. Can you imagine what 2,000 pigs look like? How many that is? Have a look round your room. How many pigs do you think you could get in your room? Well, you go, well, I've got a fairly big room. I might get 20 in here. 2,000. They must have covered the whole hillside where they were. They must have been the what the community earned all their money out of. Most of them must have been pig farmers that lived there. They must have been. They must have been to care for all those pigs. They heard about 2,000 in number somehow a spirit, or the spirit that was in this man, it came out of this man at the command of Jesus eventually, and entered into the bodies of 2,000 pigs. A pig is an enormous animal. It enters into the the bodies of these pigs, and then 2,000 of these pigs, they go like mad, I suppose. They hurl themselves over the edge of a cliff. Not the normal um, habits of a pig, I don't think, to throw himself over a cliff like that, but they, they, they just, just destroy themselves. To destroy themselves is more pleasant than to live with his spirit within them. Those tending the pigs, they ran off into the village or the villages where they come from, and they reported this to the town and, and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. Why did they say he was dressed? You see, what he wanted to do when demons had got into him, wanted to take his clothes off. He wanted to run around naked and slash himself. But when he's delivered, He wants to put his clothes on. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I'll leave that one with you. You can ponder that one. Not too long tonight, but give it a little bit of thought sometime. Is sitting there and dressed in his right mind. And he says, they were afraid. You'd think they would have been over the moon, wouldn't you, for the poor guy? He'd been terrorizing the community for years. no one would have gone anywhere near him but he's he's sitting there in his right mind and now they're afraid he said those who had seen it they told the people what had happened to the demon possessed man they used the word possessed again down here notice and told about the pigs as well then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region I don't think he ever went back you see If we tell Jesus to clear off, sometimes he does. If we refuse to listen to what he's saying, he might not say it again. So as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, he begged to go with him. Well, I'm sure he did. I mean, he had found somebody and something that was so fantastic, he wasn't going anywhere else. But Jesus didn't let him he said to him go home to your family and tell them how much the lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you in other words go back and testify about your deliverance now it's not always wise to tell everyone about our deliverance because people might mock us or ridicule us and not want to know but there are times when it's important you tell people about your deliverance because if you've been set free, they need to know that they too can be set free. So the man went away, and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people, again, they were amazed. This is an amazing ministry. It is truly an amazing ministry.
0: You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please come back next week for lesson two of the deliverance module. Also, if you would like to give a secure online donation to Arise Ministry, you can do so on our website at ariseministry.org.uk. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. A Rise Ministry, a living legacy.